Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Yes, it is free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where we discuss music genre over a glass of wine. I want to welcome each and every one of you on this chilly but pleasant Saturday evening. Um, I want to apologize that I did not um, upload an episode last week. I am a one-woman show, and sometimes this woman gets overwhelmed and overbooked and just kind of stretched to the limit. So I was not able to upload any episodes um, last week, but I am here tonight. So um, for those who are out there listening, welcome. Before we get into um, episode number 26, I want to remind everybody to please hit that like, hit that share, hit that subscribe button to the More Wine and Music um, podcast, www.more, wineandmusic.com. And um, also, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash more wine music. Okay. So this week, which is episode number 26, I believe, 25 or 26, I believe it's 26 um, of the new early 50s genre series, we are talking about Bo Diddley. If you don't know Bo Diddley, then you don't know Diddley. Okay. Everybody should know that name, Bo Diddley. But who was Bo Diddley before he became Bo Diddley? He was born Ellis McDaniel Bates on December 30th of 1928 in Macomb, which is Pike County in Mississippi. Incidentally, um, some sources has his name as Elias, I'm sorry, as Ellis Otha Bates, which he himself had disputed and say that he don't know where the name Otha came from, but his name is not Otha. He does not have the name Otha in his, it wasn't on his birth certificate or anything. So he does not know where that name came from. So his name is actually Ellis Bates. Again, he was born on December 30th of 1928 in Macomb, Mississippi. He was born to the parents of Ethel Wilson. Um, his father was not, I didn't see 
the name of his father and his father. I don't think he had, his father was not in his life. Actually, the story goes is that he was actually um, adopted by his mother's first cousin, which was name, her name was Gussie McDaniel. Um, as most, a lot of families back at that time, especially during that time period, when a relative have kids and it's, you know, that one particular kid, they may give that child away to other members of the family uh, because of financial reasons or, you know, because it, you know, they just couldn't take care of the child. So the child may, another relative might come along and say, well, I'll take, I'll take them and raise them as their own. So that's, a, that's what happened with um in the situation with Bo. He was actually legally adopted by his mother's first cousin. And so his name was changed from Bates to now McDaniel. So his name is now from here on out, Ellis McDaniel. Um, Ellis McDaniel, he um, and his now adopted mom, Gussie, she had, I think she had two more children. She had children, children besides Bo. Um, but he still had in contact with his biological mother. Um, his biological mother um, became divorced. So she was married, but became divorced. I don't know if it was his father or someone else, but he, she, he, she divorced in 1946, um, remarried. And um, she had, uh, which is strange. She did have other siblings. She did have other children, but she decided to allow her son to be adopted by her cousin. When um, Bo or Ellis was seven years old, after his adoptive mother, Gusty's husband passed away, she decided to take the children, including Bo, up to Chicago, left the South and went to Chicago. And it was there that he initially started to learn how to play the violin. He was giving um, lessons by Professor O.W. Frederick for 12 years, starting from the age of seven. So he was uh, studying violin until he was what, 19. And he began to become interested in the guitar in the early 40s. Now, from the interview that I had seen about in what he was talking about his life, he said that his mother, his mother, Gussie, would not, did not like the fact that he became, had an interest in um, guitar. He, now she, it was fine, you know, learning um, the violin. But the guitar, because, you know, in her mind, and, and as usual, and as usually so, um, in her mind, the guitar 
leads to what they, again, what they always called as the devil's music. So she was not too happy about him and she did not allow him to bring that type of music into her house. Now it was fine for him to learn how to play the violin. It was, she really wanted him to go to school and, you know, study um, math, anything that's academically um, inclined, but she did not want her son to be any type of musician, especially, especially music like the blues or anything like that. I mean, that that's just was not allowed in her house. But, you know, as kids do, they find their way. If they're determined to find their way to um, learn what's, you know, or be a part of what was going on at the time as far as other kids and what was the end thing to do, kids will find their way to do that. And that's exactly what Bo did. So he actually taught himself and became interested in the in playing the guitar. And his major influencer at the time was John Lee Hooker. He really liked the sound of John Lee Hooker's music. So he really wanted to emulate John Lee Hooker. So by the age of 13, he was beginning to play um, on Langley Avenue in Chicago with his friend, um, Jerome Green. And quoted, this is what he said, I had a raggedy guitar, a washtub bass, a dude sanding on a sheet of paper, and Jerome had maracas shaking them, and man, it was lovely. This is what uh, Bo had talked about later on. And besides the violin and the guitar, Bo also was knew how to play the trombone with the Baptist Congress Band. And by the time he was 20 years old, he had formed the Langley Avenue Jive Cats with legendary slide guitarist Earl Hooker playing at the 708 Club in Chicago. After graduating, Bo Dilley got married and began working odd jobs outside of music and construction, and he was actually a semi-pro boxer. Um, however, he was laid off from construction for a while and decided to take another shot at music. He went out and bought an electric guitar and for its volume potential in a rowdy clubs and then record a single on a disc cutter owned by one of his neighbors. Ditley peddled his songs, which was called I Am A Man, and back with another song called Bo Ditley. He was named, no, incidentally, he became um, known or was nicknamed Bo Diddley because Ditley was known as a saying that he was a, like a, a person that didn't know anything, that that just wasn't, uh, that the, the person was basically a low life. You don't know nothing. You don't know Ditley. Okay. So that's how he pretty much got his name as Bo Diddley. The boy who doesn't know nothing and what is not going to be nothing. So that, that, that became um, his nickname, but which we later on, you know, that know nothing or not going to be nothing 
boy became used that to his advantage and he did become somebody later on as we will talk about but like i was saying um you know his major influence was john lee hooker and then he started you know being in chicago he had no choice but to hear the influences of muddy waters because muddy waters was in chicago at that time and muddy waters brought in a new sound of um, music of the blues to chicago so he became a, a fan of um muddy waters as well as willie dixon and um holland wolf and also um a good friend of his which we later you know we all know is chuck berry chess records saw a market for diddley sound because diddley he had a different sound than what um what was actually being played at that time he used a lot of reverbs in his music a lot of congos he used a lot of caracas so he used a lot of um african style beats with his music along with his guitar playing and the guitar the sound was very loud very loud and kind of distorted so he brought that into the early he brought that on the scene in the early 50s so you might say he was the kind of the innovator for an influential um musician for those that came after him in the 60s like our you know my man and my my favorite 60s guitarist jimmy hendrix so when I read about Bo Diddley's, you know, Ralph researching the biography and describing what his type of sound was and then listening to the music, you know, so he was really much the innovator of the, of that distortion of the electric guitar and the, the manipulation of the, the sound of the guitar and the reverb sounds of of how he played so hendrix pretty much um kind of mirrored his playing after that bo diddley which was rather obscene um he recorded a lot of songs that you know at the time like i said it wasn't it was kind of it was different Nobody heard, you know, some of the songs that he played and how he played it. So the record, his first album, which was called Bo Diddley, was self-titled. Um, Bo Diddley was also released in 1955. And in 1955, he appeared on the, made his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan television show before hooking up with Alan Free's rock and roll package to tour the country. Now, here's a little side note about that when he came on Ed Sullivan's show. Now, one thing people didn't realize or, or know now or, you know, can remember about Ed Sullivan, he was one of the very few um, entertainers, um, show hosts who had his own show and that would actually have Black entertainers, Black musicians and entertainers on his show. Not too many of them would do that. So Ed Sullivan, he was one of the... Uh, ones that actually did and so when he um it had um bo diddley and his group on on the show 
Um, he was asked beforehand to play a certain song. I think from what I read, it was some kind of uh, rendition of the Tennessee Waltz or some, something. It was something that he was requested to play by um, Mr. Sullivan. Well, it didn't go that way. Bo Diddley, Bo and his band, they played one of his original songs and I forgot what song it was. Um, it might've been, I'm a man. It might've been, if, if anybody's out there who un would remember, please let me know. But it was one of his first, you know, hit songs and he played it. You know, of course he had his band who was on the drums and they had the Congos and the, uh, the, the actual beat and his signature um, style of playing, he had a guitar, his guitar, his one of his signature guitar was a Gretsch, which was what my father used to have, by the way. He used to, that's one of his um, favorite guitar um, instrument um, style of a brand of guitar was a Gretsch. But his Gretsch, but Bo's Gretsch, was made into like a box, like a cigarette, a cigarette box. So it was a box shape, but he played that. And I forgot the song. I know the song, I forgot the song, but it was one of his famous songs, but he played that instead of what um, Ed Sullivan had requested him to play. And they said that after he played, I mean, the crowd, the audience loved it, but Ed Sullivan did not. He was furious he was furious at Bo for playing something that he really he wasn't asked to play um and on interviews Bo had said that later on you know talking about this particular incident that when he, as soon as he got off the stage um Ed Sullivan came to him and you know he said um you are the first colored boy I had on this, on my show that didn't, um, that went against well, what I asked, you know, for you to do. And, you know, at first, at first, you know, Bo was actually, you know, offended because he didn't, I, from what he said, he didn't understand. He didn't, you know, he was getting ready to actually pretty much cuss Ed Sullivan out at first because he didn't because all because of what Sullivan said because of him being a colored person so he didn't under you know at that time you know that he wasn't Negro he wasn't black at that particular time in the 50s black Americans were colored but you know he he thought about it and he pretty much understood that he was kind of like the innovator. He did something that, you know, no other artists had done, which was go against what um, Ed Sullivan had requested. So that was a little side piece. And that was really um, something that really, really made him stand out after that. And from then on, um, the Diddley beat was simple yet infectious it was not a ham it's not subscribed as a ham bone it's kind of different 
from the Hambone um, beat. Um, it was called a idiosyncratic um, rhythm. And I, in, like he said, it was heavily influenced from the African um, sounds and beats of the African drums. So he, you know, he used that um, and incorporated it into his um, guitar playing. And what's other thing that was interesting was his backup, his band. He had three females in the band in his, uh, in his, as his backup. And one of the females, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if it was his stepsister or not, but it was some, it was a female. She also played the guitar. So that was definitely, definitely, um, definitely ahead of its time. You know, you always have female singers back then. They were just, you know, either clap their hands and sing, ooh, ooh, you know, anything like that. But no, his female singers, you know, they were, they were also singing, but they had one that actually played along with Bo and the, and the rest of the male um, players. So that, that was definitely, definitely, um, definitely ahead of its time. So he was definitely very um, forward thinking in that manner. As I was, you know, trying to describe about his um, special effects of the guitar and his way of manipulating that sound of that reverb, which is like an echo. When you hit a chord, it reverbs and it has that distorted um, sound. Um, he also incorporated playing um, with a. Uh, you know, with a strut, he would play while while he's playing. He would strut across the stage. He would play with his teeth, help hold the guitar over his head or between his legs. Again, that was the influence of what Jimi Hendrix and others in the '60s had emulated. Bo Diddley was the one, you know, who started that. Who was the innovator of that? And towards the 50s and into the 60s, you know, he would be considered like the unsung musician. He didn't have, uh, you know, high, you know, high up on top of top, you know, top up on top of hits, but in the sixties, you know, it was pretty much, he was kind of like fading out and it was kind of like his songs was kind of like fading out. Um, his last charted single was Ooh Baby in 1967. Um, and really if it wasn't for the British um, invasion, the British artists and, you know, guitar, you know, not guitarists, but the and British musicians that really much kept the interest of people like Fats Domino, people like Bo Diddley, you know, they pretty much would have fell by the wayside. And that's one thing about American um, audiences is than European audiences. At least Europeans, they do 
if they like you, they will keep, you know, keep you, they will keep you alive as far as keep your music. You know, they love your music. If they love your music, they are diehard fans. Um, Americans, they're more, you know, fair weather. Okay. You're, you're fine for a few years. And if you don't have, you know, after a while you kind of fall off and then, they, you know, they'll feed on, go on to something else that's new, that's up and coming. They don't, not to say that they're not loyal to the older, but they more quick to drop you and then go on to the next, you know, hot, new up and coming artist. Whereas um, Europe, if you don't make it here in the States, you more likely will be more accepted and more um, appreciated or more alive as far as your music in um, over in the UK or other European um, countries over there because they tend to appreciate, you know, your music, you know, more than what the states are and which is a lot of why which is why a lot of the artists leave american artists leave their the states and you know live over or perform over across seas because you know again they can make more money and they're more popular over there than they would be here you know if you don't have a you know consistently major hit you know you're you're pretty much dumped and moved on to you know and pretty much forgotten so that's basically what happened with Bo. Um, he, throughout the 70s, you know, he would make appearances here and there, but it wasn't like he made other, you know, number, you know, big hit records. And if he did, it was, it didn't top the charts or anything. The only last, um, appearance or something that kind of rekindled his fame of who he was was during the time was like in the late eighties when the, well, I think it was a football player and also a baseball player, Bo Jackson, who was also talented, not only as a, a athlete, but also as a musician. And so I, I remember that uh, commercial of Bo Jackson you know, saying that Bo can do this, Bo can play baseball, Bo can, you know, play, he plays football, but can Bo play, you know, the guitar, it was something. And then Bo Diddley uh, played a little uh, riff with Bo Jackson, you know, so it, it was kind of, you know, that kind of rekindled and re renewed interest of people with Bo Diddley. And, you know, because both their name was Bo. Oh, Bo, you do know, you know, Diddley. <laughs> so, I mean, that I, I do remember, I don't know, how, I forgot that how it actually went, but I do remember that commercial. So that, again, that kind of renewed a little bit of interest in people and really recognizing and appreciated what Bo, who Bo Diddley was and how he contributed to um, the rock and roll, early rock and roll. And then, you know, again, People like Elvis and Buddy Holly and, you know, the white um, audience, the white uh, rock and roll audience or players, they took their um, way of playing. They took their 
influence from people like Bo Diddley. So, you know, but Bo Diddley didn't get the recognition as, you know, a lot of other musicians would get. Even though he was a lot of, um, he paved the way or was an innovator in a lot of the uh, way of his music. In 1986, he was inducted into the Washington Area Music Association Hall of Fame. Then again, in 1996, he was inducted um, into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. He, was all, he also received the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Rhythm and Blues Foundation in L.A., and in 19, I'm sorry, and in 2000, he was inducted into the Mississippi Music Musicians Hall of Fame, as well as North Florida Music Association. In, 19, in 2007, Bo Diddley received the Governor's Award of Excellence in the Arts for Lifetime Achievement, which is the highest arts honor that you can receive in the state of Mississippi. In 2008, Bo Diddley died of heart failure. He was at, he was in, this was in, he lived in Florida at the time um, at the age of 79. And during his lifetime, now I couldn't find anything more as far as personal, personal life, other though he was married and he ended up being married four times. And out of that four, four times of being married, he has five children. And from those five children, he has 50, 15 grandchildren, 15 great-grandchildren, and three great-great-grandchildren. So that's very unusual, and that's very blessed for him to have, you know, great-great-grandchildren. So, and that, you know, that's pretty much... That's pretty much about um, Bo Diddley. Um, even though he was nicknamed that you don't know nothing, you not you don't know squat, you don't know Diddley. Bo Diddley did a lot um, for the early '50s um, music genre. So, and he contributed a lot. And again, he was a lot of innovators. He was the main pioneer, the innovator of. Uh, the style of music, the style of guitar playing, which um, Hendrix and others have um, emulated later on into the 60s. So there you have it. All right. Next week, I'm going to talk about, I mean, I'm going to go into the group. And I'm going to talk about, you know, we, we know Richie Valens. And... Um, so, but I'm going to talk about Richie Valens next week um, and his early tragic, um, you know, his how his career was cut short. But he was a, um, you know, up and coming young, early 50s artist. And but unfortunately, it was cut short. So we're going to talk about Richie Valens. All right. Again, I hope um, people will subscribe to the um to whatever about podcast that you listen to, hit that subscribe button. Also hitting come um, if you have questions or would like a particular person, 
that you would like for me to um, talk about within the early rock and roll series, please hit me up at um, www.morewineandmusic.com. And you guys stay safe and I will talk to you next week. Peace.